I want to start out by asking you a question, and I want you to answer it honestly. Is there nothing quite like falling in love when sparks are flying? Some of you are scared to answer that right now. There's nothing quite like the serotonin high of being around that person, and they're so hot, right? Just knock the PG thing right out the window right now. You know, I mean, they look so good, and you're, you're kind of in this zone where you will drive to the moon and back. You will spend every penny in your bank account to show them how much you love them. You will let them spend every penny in their bank account for them to show you how much they love you. I mean, there's nothing like the, the serotonin high of, of sparks flying and being attracted to somebody else. Would you agree to that? Unless you're falling in love with a pastry chef. Don't ever fall in love with a pastry chef. You want to know why? Because they will desert you. <laughs> That's so stupid. I don't know why I put that in there. But it's, it's funny. It's a bad joke. We, we are in a series called Family Matters. We started last week with Mother's Day, probably one of the most significant roles in the family. We're going to land on Father's Day coming up. And in between, we're going to go through the stages of life, the stages of, of family. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to have a, a great marriage. The week after that, we're going to talk about parenting. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about when your parents begin to age and when that parent role is kind of reversed and you end up having to take care of them a little bit. Um, and then we're going to land on Father's Day uh, to end the series. But today, we're talking about what, is it, what happens when love is sparked. What do we need to be looking for? What, what do we need to, to talk about uh, when, when it comes to those beginning stages? Now, you may be thinking, I'm not single. And so I don't need to hear a message about, about being single. Um, in 2014, Bureau of Labor took a, a census, and they realized that 50.2% of people 16 and older were single. I'm not real smart, but I think that's over half, right? So the, the likelihood of the person sitting on your row, maybe several of them, uh, being single is a good likelihood. And I would say that if, if you are here single and you are a prospect of marriage or a suspect of marriage, depending on which way you look at that, um, you probably need to hear something about building a foundation and, and things to look for and things to avoid when it comes to that foundation of marriage. Would you say so? Now, if you are a grandparent in the room, I want you to take what is said today, and I want you to put a stockpile of advice into your tank so that you can give advice to your kids and your grandkids and other people that you have influence in life. Maybe you're married today, and, and you just want to take this information as a gauge and say, how are we doing? You know, uh, If you're single today, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen, and I want you to take what I'm going to say to heart, because here's the, here's the truth. You, you can learn from a message just like this, or you can learn from a, a, a really bad situation. That's the truth. And the fact is, is that God can use both. He can. Um, but God wants to show you something today so that you can build your foundation strong. Okay? We all, we all track in on the, same, on the same track here? All right. Do you remember asking your parents or your grandparents whenever you were younger, how am I going to know when the right one comes along? You remember asking that? And, and you look at them, and they've got kind of a glazed look in their eyes, and they grin, and they say, you'll just know. Have you ever heard that? And you're like, really? What else do you got? Because that's not very, uh, that's not very detailed. I'm going to need something a little bit more than that. But they, they say things like, like you're just going to know. And you're like, well, how am I going to know? I, I have butterflies. Does that, that count? I've got a quiver in my liver. Does that count? You know, and... Or, 
in premarriage counseling, I often ask, why do you want to get married? And specifically to the, to the young couples. And um, the girl normally starts blushing, and the guy uh, typically wants to fall under the floor and, and never show his face. Uh, but typically, the, one of them will finally respond, and they'll say something like, we're so in love. And then the other one agrees, and, and I just smile, and I nod my head, and I say, that's really good. And then I, 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 sometimes I think it, sometimes I say, what else you got? <laughs> this feeling that you have, it's awesome, but what, why are you getting married? Because that feeling is not always going to be on the forefront. Can any of the married couples attest to that? That feelings are not the basis of a strong marriages? Would anybody be willing to say there's more to a till-death-do-us-part marriage than a quiver in your liver? People of all ages have, have asked the question, what is love? And sometimes people say, baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> no more. What is love? See, God gave us this capability to have feelings and, and attraction, and, and there's these sparks, and we look at each other, and sometimes all we can say is, they are so hot. Y'all are silent right now because you think I'm the only one. You, you, I know I'm not. You, you, that person is so hot. You know, if, if marriage has to be built on something, I'm starting with that. I want to wake up every day and I want to see that. Does anybody agree with that? Somebody better say yes because your spouse is sitting next to you and you want to make sure that they know that you think that about them. And, and their feelings, their, it's attraction. It's this, it's this beautiful thing that God gave us so that we would be attracted to one another and ultimately fulfill what he told us to do on this earth, Right? But it, it, it's not the basis of staying with that person. Uh, years ago, I had a friend who was a, a Christian um, who wrote God a letter. And in this letter, he said everything that he wanted in a woman. He quoted everything he wanted, all the attributes that he wanted in a woman. And he let me read it. And it was kind of a long list. And I looked at it. I said, dude, this person does not exist. You just described Barbie on here. <laughs> She's not, at least not in real life. You just, just, just described perfection. Um, did you know that because we're created in God's image, listen to me, because we're created in God's image with this profound ability to love like him, you have the capability within you to love anybody. That's kind of going over some people's heads. I get it. Let me, I, I, I want to flesh this thing all the way out as we go forward. But you have within you the capability to, to love anybody. And, and it's hard to believe as it is, there is no such thing as Mr. or Mrs. Wright. There's a such thing as Mr. or Mrs. I'm going to fail you sometimes and I need grace. But there's no such thing as this perfect person walking around that's only for you. It sounds really romantic. And movies do a great job at making us feel all those feelings. I'll tell you something else. that You, you, you may want to throw something at me after I say it. It might shock you. But there's no such thing as a soulmate. You want to know why? Because God made your soul and it belongs to him. And whoever you marry, whoever you finally end up being mates with, they need to be able to point your soul back to your creator. And you need to be able to point their soul to the creator. I heard somebody say one time, it was so beautiful, the whole point of marriage on earth is to help each other get to heaven. Because that's where ultimately your soul needs to be. That's where God died for you to be is heaven. Guess what? <laughs> this earth will end. Did you know that the funeral home business is alive and booming? It hurts us, but people pass away every single day. The reason is because we're moving away from this earth to a, an eternity somewhere. And God wants your soul in heaven. So when you team up with somebody in life, yeah, there's attraction. Yeah, there's love. Yeah, there's uh, capab or, um, uh, all these things that we, we do together and love each other. But our whole purpose is to get each other there. 
And if we're not doing that, then we've started on the wrong, on the wrong foundation. The only way that we're going to be able to succeed in our marriage um, is to have a love that doesn't come from ourselves, that it comes from, from God. And when you love somebody like that, I just want to tell you, the feelings come. Anybody in here been married a while and can attest to that? The feelings come. Man, when you love somebody unconditionally and you care for their soul and you know it's about them and God first and then you and them second, the feelings come. They, they, they really do. But don't mistake something as eternal and lasting as God's love with the temporal feelings that we feel sometimes on earth. Does that make sense? Thank you for coming. I'll see you next week. All right? that, literally, I could end right there if we could just grab that. But in all seriousness, after you give your life to Jesus, there is no other relationship that's more important than your marriage. There's not. If you're married today, you, you uh, want to make sure that you're building your foundation on what God says. If you're not married today, I want you to know you have the opportunity to make sure that you choose somebody and choose compatibility uh, filters that we can actually build a godly marriage on. Now, we all have this mental checklist of, of compatibilities that we want to make sure exist, right? Can I just say it again? We want to make sure they're hot. We want to make sure they're clean. We'll make sure their fingernails are clean, right? We want to make sure that, you know, we both have the same ideas in terms of where we want to live. We want to make sure that we both kind of want the same amount of kids. These are the questions we ask each other. In fact, in pre-marriage counseling, I encourage couples to ask the, these questions to make sure that they're on the same page. Um, but when, when love is sparked, we, we can't build a marriage off those things. There's lots of compatibilities, but there are two that we need to make sure that we have um, so that we can actually have this till death do us part marriage. And I want to talk about what those two compatibilities are today so that as we go out of here, especially if you're not married, you can kind of take those other ones and put them on the back burner and make sure that we have these two. The other ones are important, but if, if we don't have these two that I'm going to talk about today, then you can forget about it till death do us part marriage. Because I promise you, I could name a scenario right now that your spouse will do to you or your maybe future spouse that you'd say, yeah, I'd probably leave them for that. I could name it because there are a lot of bad things that happen on earth because this is a sin-cursed world and we're all human. Amen? And I could, I could name a situation and you'd go, yeah, I'd probably leave for that. To have a till death do us part marriage, you're going to have to have these two uh, compatibility filters first. First one is this, a common faith. A common faith. How, is, how important is it for us to believe the same? For two people that join together in covenant to believe the same thing. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says it like this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Have you ever heard that scripture? Be yoked together. Are they, talk, are they talking about scrambled eggs? No. Let me finish. It says, for what, what is righteousness and wickedness? In other words, what is right standing with God and wickedness have in common? Or what? Then he goes deeper. What, what can light have with darkness that they don't even mix? And he's saying, don't yoke yourself together with an unbeliever. Now, in this culture, it was an agriculture era. It was people farmed. And so this example was given in a letter that Paul was writing to the church here. And they understood it. So when you had a plow and you were getting ready to plow a field, you'd have an ox or a mule or something uh, in front. And ho hopefully you had two, it made it go faster. And he's saying, you yoke them together. It's a yoke that goes on their necks and it ties them together so that when they're doing the work and pushing forward, you can get something done. Now, they wanted to make sure the two animals were the same size, the same strength, uh, the same temperament, so that they weren't fighting each other as they went forward. Does that make sense? 
Because if they're not the same, if they don't have the same strength, they don't have the same capability, then one's going to be pushing one way. Maybe their temperament's different. The other one's going to be stopping, and the other one's going to be going. And it makes work a mess. Now, when they're not yoked together, they can one be over here and one be over here, and they like it, look at each other, and animal instincts kick in, right? Following me? And one of them's in heat, and the other one's, you know, breathing the air, and they're like, hey, get me over there real fast. But when they yoke them together, man, they have to work together. They have to be that, that the same temperament, the same size. And, and God is saying this is what it looks like when you, you try to unite yourself to somebody that doesn't believe the same way you do, that doesn't have the same faith as you. I heard a, a guy say that some of his Christian buddies, whenever he was younger, they, they, went, they were really into missionary dating. Have you ever heard of that? It's when you start going out with somebody because they're really hot, but they don't love Jesus, and you're hoping to convert them. <laughs> missionary dating, get it? It doesn't work. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It doesn't work because you can't change somebody. Only God can change somebody. Only God can change a heart. Now, they might change some things. They might change you know, some, uh, some, some things they do, some behavior modification, but you can't change their, their soul, their heart, the, the way they aim their heart. Only God can do that. And so find somebody who loves Jesus. And um, you know, I'd, if you have a husband and a wife who have two sets of blueprints of how they're building the house, you're going to have a really weird-looking house. You're going to have a house that's growing in two different directions. And th th this is what it looks like when two unbelievers come together and try to make something as uniting as a marriage. It, it literally just doesn't work. Now, I, I want to say this. There are great Christian homes that didn't start out with both uh, husband and wife believing in Jesus. But they're, they're great Christian homes now because of God's grace and mercy, and, and God got a hold of their hearts, and by only by God's grace, they did it. But this is the exception. This is not the rule. And if you are single in the room today, don't, uh, don't disregard the importance of a common faith in the hopes that you'll be the exception. Because there is so much pain and there is so much struggle that, that comes with that. I can't tell you the number of conversations in 17 years of being in ministry of, of people, men and women, who love God and they're growing in their faith and they're having friendships within the church, and everything's going good, and they can't go home and even talk about it because their husband or their wife isn't a believer, and maybe they support them in their endeavors, but eventually the church and God, and rightfully so, especially God, he becomes so important in their lives, the unbelieving spouse, spouse gets offended. You're putting God before me. What is this church thing? What, you think you're better than I am? Well, you think just because you go to church that somehow I'm a bad person? I work hard, you know, and so there's all these, there's all these struggles, and, and it's not always like that, but I'm giving you a, a good example of what typically happens. And I've seen it firsthand. And, and maybe that's where you're at in your marriage, and, and you have an unbelieving spouse. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying leave them. Definitely not. The, the scriptures are clear. If they're willing to stay with you, and you're not in physical danger, and, and they're not running out on you, then you need to stay. Keep praying. Let me tell you something. You need to believe that God can do something there. You need to pray for them. You need to love them. You need to figure out what the Word of God says and, and stay with them. Keep loving, keep believing, because if God can raise a dead person back to life, He can change the heart of your spouse. He can. He can do it. But if you're not married, find somebody who loves Jesus. <laughs> find somebody who, who puts God first in their life. And you put God first in your life, and you come together both putting God first, and you actually have something very valuable and, and lasting to offer one another. Because at the end of your willpower, you fail. But God never fails. And if he's your source, and both of you have that same source, then you're going to be coming together with something very beautiful to offer each other. 
um, there's a, a statistic that, and this is a true statistic, half of all marriages end in divorce. That's sad, but it's very true. That's in the church world and in the secular world. Half of all marriages end in divorce. Um, according to records, the rate is even higher for second marriages. It is. Um, but there's another statistic that came out several years ago that, that proved this. Whenever two people are both believers, they have that common faith, and it's coupled with them really connecting to the body of Christ, not church services necessarily, but connecting in, in fellowship and in beliefs and in um, serving together and doing things with, with the church, connecting to the body of Christ. The divorce rate goes from half, 50%, to one in 1,500. I want that to sink in a minute. That, that just goes to show you that when God invented the idea of marriage and we actually do it his way, it works. Is that shocking to us? I mean, we actually follow the blueprint of the one that designed the thing, and it, it actually works. That, that's amazing to me, right? So if you're not married, having a common faith, make that the number one priority when it comes to what you're looking for in somebody. Have a common faith with somebody. Number two, say number two. Moving right along. A committed love. A committed love. That's an easy one, right? We know we know exactly what love is. We feel love. We, we push love. We say love. It's probably the most common used word in the English language. We say it so much, we say it on accident. You ever told somebody you love them on accident? That's awkward. <laughs> I was here, heard a story of a, a tech sergeant in the Air Force, and he's talking to his commanding officer, and they were talking about the status of a jet, and um, they're, they're real serious. You know, they're using their deep man voices, and they're talking in formalities and, um, for a few minutes, and then they got ready to hang up, and the tech sergeant accidentally said, I love you, <laughs> to the commanding officer. He was so humiliated. He just sat there, froze, and his kind of awkward seconds go by in silence. He said it felt like 10 minutes. And then finally, after a few awkward seconds, he hears the, the, uh, the CEO on the other side go, I love you too. <laughs> they hung up and never talked about it, at least not to each other. But we use the word so much that literally it's like we say it on accident. I mean, it's so washed into our culture and into our, our language but when it comes to a definition of what it is, uh, I mean, the definitions are so diverse, too. In the dictionary, for instance, um, love is an intense affection or warm feelings for another person. That's one definition. Next definition is a strong sexual desire for another person. It's love, in a way. Uh, the next definition, a strong fondness or enthusiasm about any given idea. It's just kind of diluting right down as it goes. Listen to the next one. A zero score in the sport of tennis. <laughs> I mean, all that in one word. And to think we base something as strong as marriage on that word. So it would, it would really do us some good to really understand what the Bible has to say about it because God is the supreme source of what love is. It's not just that he loves us. He is love. It's who he is. So if we're going to build marriage, right, the foundations of marriage on something then we probably need to know what God has to say. If we're going to build it on something called love, then we probably need to go back to his word. He authored it and find out what he has to say about love. Um, the Bible actually translates love into, into three different words. Now, in English, you'll see love, or, um, but when you go back to the original language, there, there's three different words, and we're going to take a look at them, and we're going to kind of separate these out and, and talk about it. The first two are uh, brotherly love and physical love. 
You ever heard of those things? Brotherly love and, and, and physical love? There's a word um, in the Greek, phileo, it's brotherly love. It's when I love you because you're my family, or I love you because we're in the same club, or I love you because we're in the same unit, or we go to the same church. Um, I love you because you help me change my tire, right? I love you because you meet my needs somehow. It's the guys in the room, it's the I love you, man. It's, it's you're, you're meeting my needs somehow. Uh, but then there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's selfish. Because what happens whenever I'm no longer in the same club as you or, or you move away from my unit or somehow you have a change of ideas and somehow you no longer meet my needs in some way? Do, do I still love you? Do I? Maybe not. It's not really that deep. So, so should we base a till death do us part marriage on that kind of love? And the answer is no. <laughs> we, 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 we shouldn't. Um, then there's something called uh, physical love. The word is eros. It's where we get the word erotic. It's, it's a sexual or a sensual type of love. And, and that's the one we all probably know and, and recognize the most. It's, as a matter of fact, it was the first definition in, in the dictionary, probably most common used in America, uh, the, that word. And God says this. He says, reserve that kind of love for marriage. Reserve sexual activity for marriage. It's a covenant that two people make when they love each other and never leave. That's what that's for. And I, and I know culture says, hey, sex is, is, is important, but it's not going to mean that much. I can do it and walk away, right? I can be in a good relationship with somebody I know, and we've been together two years, and you know, I know they love me, and I love them. And yeah, we have sex, and you know, I, I, I care about this person. So we just kind of don't make a big deal out of it. And, and it's like, hey, I'm just fulfilling the natural instincts that I have, and God gave them to me, and why would he give them to me if he didn't want me to use them? Have, have you ever thought like that? You know somebody who has? It's just sex. Come on. We're not making babies. We're, we're just, you know, it doesn't mean anything because I don't love them. And it's, that's, that's what's popular. And, and, and even if some of us don't feel that extreme, we can easily think, well, I've been with this person long enough. They care about me. I care about them, so it's okay. God says don't. God says reserve that for a covenant. Because we know what the world thinks about, about the word love. What does the Bible say? What does God say about love? And if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to say, I am a believer, then you have to follow what God's prescription for it is. Does that make sense? This is what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 5, it says, God's will for you, means his purpose for you, is to be holy. And then he says, so stay away from all sexual sin. And some of us are thinking, that doesn't sound like a very good time. Listen, he's got a reason. He says, then each of you will be able to control their own body and live in holiness, not just that, but honor. You're going to be able to live in honor. Not in lustful passion like pagans do that don't even know God in his ways. I mean, even non-Christian psychologists now, they're, they're coming out with this thing and they're, they're understanding and they're, they're reading and they're, they're putting out articles that say, hey, when you have sex, it goes down to a much deeper level than just physical. They're starting to understand that there is a union that forms and they're actually reporting this stuff. And, and the Bible said it thousands of years ago, very bluntly. I love the way the Bible says it bluntly in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. It says, don't you know that when even unite, unite yourself to a prostitute, that you're one with her in body? 
He says, it's said the two will become one flesh. He's quoting something that God said a long time ago that happens when, when two people uh, interact together in sex. He's saying that even in a situation where you might not even think a, an emotional connection can, can happen, even in a situation where you feel like you're going to walk away and there's going to be no connection at all, even then a, a unifying thing happens down deep inside you. you. You're united with that person. It's not just an act. This is what God is saying. I heard one pastor say it like this. Imagine the coldest day of winter in Chicago, and it's minus 10 degrees outside, and you go outside and get some saliva on your tongue, and you stick it to the bumper of your car and leave it there for 30 seconds, and then walk away. So you leave a part of you on the bumper. You know, you can't just walk away clean. There's, there's a part of you left there, and you probably got some of the bumper in your mouth now, right? I mean, you, you, you exchange that. You cannot walk away without leaving a part of yourself behind. And when we have sex with somebody physically, we leave a part of ourselves with them, and we take a part of them with us. And you may say, well, you know, it's okay because we're going to get married. We're engaged, so we're having sex. I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life anyway. But there's, there's a fundamental problem with that. And we see it over and over um, throughout the years when physical intimacy begins before spiritual or emotional or intellectual intimacy has had a chance to form. It creates this fog. And, and all of a sudden now we're putting physical development before the, the emotional development, and it creates damage. Any married couple w- will agree it takes more than physical intimacy to build a lasting marriage. Would any married couple say that? It's not just about sex. You, you cannot hold a marriage together based on physical intimacy. You can't do it. So if you're not married, I want to ask you the question, are you willing to honor God's word in this area? Or, I'm going to ask that bluntly. Are you willing to say, I'm going to let a physical intimacy be pushed to the side, and I'm going to let the more important intimacy happen first? the spiritual, the emotional connections, the, the intellectual intimacy before the physical happens. Now, maybe you're already having sex and you'd say, well, Pastor Ryan, what am I supposed to do? Just walk up and tell them we're done with that? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying invite them over for supper, do candles, have a dinner. And in the most intimate part of the evening, I want you to lean over and say, let's imagine it's the coldest day of the winter in Chicago. What I'm telling you is if they're really committed to you and they really love you and they're growing in love with you, then they are going to be willing to put their physical connection aside too to let something more lasting take root in your relationship. They will. And they'll be acting in the third way the Bible defines love. That's one that lasts. That's one that we build marriages on. And that is agape love. That is unconditional love. It's the kind of love that says, I don't care what you do, I'm never leaving you. It's the kind of love that says when the feelings are gone and I don't feel anything right this minute, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. It's the kind of love that says I am in a covenant with you and I'm not just in it whenever you do your part. I'm in it whenever maybe I'm the only one trying. I'm still going to love you and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It's the kind of love that looks at somebody when they're at their very worst and says I'm never giving up on you. I love you. <laughs> and that's the kind of love that I want. How about you? It's the kind of love where you lay your head down at night and you know that there is nothing that will make that person laying next to you leave. And you know you're not going anywhere. And there's this this covenant, there's this unity that happens. And in fact, it's the kind of love that we can stand before God one day at the altar and say literally, till death do us part. And the reason is because 
we're getting that source of love from God himself. I fail, you fail, your spouse fails, your girlfriend fails, your boyfriend fails because they're human and at the end of their willpower, which will come, is, is a failure. They will fail you. But if we're all sourcing our love from the same God who never fails, then we're always going to be able to look at the other person and say, whether you fail or not, I'm, I'm always going to stay. Then you have two people doing that unconditionally, then you've got something that you can build a life on. You've got something that you can, you can be an example to your kids about. You've got something that you can look at other people that you have influence in in their lives and they can look to you and say, man, I want to be like that. You can look at people and the statistic that's all around you where half of marriages end in divorce and you can stand out among the rest. I see people who've been married 50 years and, and 45 years, some 60 years, and I always look at them and I say, man, I want to be just like you. I, I just, I applaud you. Because you can look at them and you know it's not easy. You know it's difficult. You know they failed at times. But they've looked at each other and said, I'm never leaving you. And now here we are, still holding the hands. Our hands look different now. They're a little bit more wrinkled. Maybe I got glasses and they're a little thicker than they used to be. Your hair's lost some of its color. They're walking a little slower. But there's a bond there that no one can shake. But it's because they've sourced the love after what God did. And it's, it's the way we look at him. What did God do for you whenever you were at your worst? Did he turn his back on you? Did he leave you? Let me ask it this way. Did he have a right to leave you? Yeah, he did. And whenever we look at our mate, whoever that happens to be one day, or whoever you have now, and we say, like, like I said in the beginning, I could name a scenario, maybe you've been through some of them, where you would say, yeah, I'd leave him for that. Or yeah, if it got that tough, I'd probably leave it. But you have to compare it to the way God loves you, this agape, this unconditional love. And you say, when I was at my worst, what did God do? Well, the Bible says, John 3, 16, we all know the verse. It says that God so loved that he gave. God so loved that he gave his one and only son. Isn't that crazy? And so we look, what, what kind of love does that look like? What is that? What is that? How do I do it? And there's this perfect example in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. We're going to look at what love is. And it says this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. And I'm going to keep going, and we're going to get a little uncomfortable because we've all failed. But it said, love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let me say that again, because you've been wronged. It keeps no record of wrongs. Not true love. Not God's love. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, which is what we feel humanly to do fleshly, but it actually rejoices in truth. Truth is Jesus. The truth is God. The truth is his word. The truth is what, how he loves us. We can rejoice in the truth. And then it says this. It says love always protects this kind of unconditional uh, love, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And then it nails it right here. It says that kind of love will never fail. Why? Because we're getting it from a God that never fails. Now, I, I want you to do this because that verse can kind of gloss over us sometimes, that passage there. So I want you to put your name where it says love, and I want us to read it again. I'll just stick my name in there. Ryan is patient. Ryan is kind. You do it. You put your name there. Ryan does not envy. Ryan does not boast. Ryan is not proud. Is anybody uncomfortable yet? Is anybody just going, man, I have really bombed. That puts it into a whole new perspective. Ryan is not rude. Ryan is not self-seeking. 
That's tough. But that's, that's what love is. And, and feelings, yeah, they do come. Feelings do go. But at the end of the day, true love is giving up of yourself for someone else. That's what it is. It's when the trials hit and when the tribu- tribulations come and when the waves come crashing in and we feel nothing. It's still standing there going, God loved me and I'm going to love you. And I'm not leaving. A few verses down in verse 13, it says this, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the absolute greatest of these is love. And we look at that and say, you're telling me my hope in God, the faith that I have in him? The the Bible says that when we have faith in him, we come in, we're a new creation. My hope in him is what's going to get me through until I get to this destination called heaven. You're telling me that love is greater than that? God says, yes, it is. The basis of every bit of that is love. Why? Because he loved us first. And the verse says that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for you. And I like that verse, but I really don't think that fully defines God's love for us. Now, don't throw rocks at me because that's a real famous verse. But that verse doesn't describe what we were doing whenever he did that. Because isn't it true that sometimes people do things to us and we base kind of how we're going to respond based on how, how bad they've hurt us? Yeah, I love you, but until you do, and then I could name something that you'd be like, yeah, I'd probably leave for that. That verse doesn't describe what we were doing whenever God loved us. I love Romans chapter 5. It gives us a better example. Verse 6, it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, meaning that when we offered absolutely nothing to God, it says Christ died for the ungodly. Skip down to verse 8, it gets better. He said, God demonstrates his own love, his own unconditional love for us in this statement right here. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we offered him absolutely nothing, while we had our backs turned against him on purpose, that's when he said, I'm going to give you my all. That's when he said, I'm going to come and die for you. When, When you were doing nothing for him, when you were at your absolute worst, that's when God said it. At that moment right there, that's when I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the pedal to the metal all the way down and give you every last ounce of me. He said, I'm giving you my all. And let me tell you something, that's love. That's the only love that lasts. That's the only love that you can look at in, in, in another person and say, we're going to make it. Is whenever they're abs- absolutely at their worst and you still stand there and say, I'm, I'm staying. I'm never going to leave you. And they have that same response to you. No matter what happens, I still want this. No matter what happens, I, I, what God did for me, I cannot now turn my back against you. And you have two people with a common faith, and you have two people with this committed love that they're modeling after Jesus Christ. You can't model any other type of love and expect it to last because every other love definition that we talked about, it is not fulfilling in the end. It does not fill you all the way. It will run out. It will. But unconditional love won't. It won't. And people don't choose it because it's hard. That's the reason why people don't choose it. Simply put, it's difficult, and it doesn't feel good. And at the end of the day, we can look at each other and say, you know what, I'd probably leave for that. Or if you don't stop doing this, I'll probably leave. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I mean, you fill in the blank. I'm not going to do all that for you. But that's what we do. Better yet, other people say, I'd I'd leave him. (laughs) I'd leave her. I wouldn't put up with that and yet they go home and don't have to put up with the consequences of of your decision. They don't have to live through that. Agape love, unconditional love, that's the only way your marriage will last, single folks. Make sure that's there. Make sure you have that 
compatibility. There was a, a man and woman, and I'm wrapping up. I'm going to finish by telling you a story. A man and woman uh, married in 1970. They, uh, they weren't believers when they got married, but shortly after marriage, the wife committed her life to God, and the husband did not. And in fact, the husband liked to party, and he told her that when they got married. And I mean party a lot. He liked to go drink, and he liked to go get just drunk, and um, he went out every single night. <laughs> and sometimes he would stay gone three days at a time, sometimes a week at a time, depending on where the party was. They, they traveled. They just, they party hard. And uh, early on during that, she said, you know, she, she would, he'd come home and uh, drunk in the middle of the night or sometimes the next morning, and she, she threw a fit. And he sat her down and said, listen, I, I told you I was like this when we got married, so if you've changed in your mind, let me help you pack, and I'll take you back to your mom and dad's. <laughs> I mean, this is how intense it was. And, you know, he wasn't abusing her physically, and he wasn't running out on her, but he was partying. That was his mistress. It was alcohol, and it was being out. And she decided that she was going to pray for him. She was going to love him unconditionally. And it was hard. It was difficult. And as I say that, you're like, well, I'd probably leave. <laughs> and her family did. They were like, eventually, you know, for 10 years this went on. 10 years. And during that time, you know, like I said, he wasn't this horrible, mean drunk that would slap her around or, or be. But he was out and absent. And, and they had kids. They had actually three kids. Um, and she finally looked at him one day during the middle of all that, and she said, you sorry rascal. She said, you think I'm going to leave you, but I'm not. Real determined, you know. And she said, I know you're a good man, and I know one day you're going to turn your life over to God, and you're going to be even better than you are now, and I'll be daggone if some other woman is going to reap the benefits of what I've been praying for all these years. I'm not leaving. Time goes on. He's still partying. He's still getting drunk. He, one morning, he came in at 4 in the morning, and she's standing there in a robe, and he is, he's pretty drunk. And she said, are you hungry? And he, he said, yeah. And he tells the story, and he said, she made me two scrambled egg sandwiches, and we sat there and talked like I had just got off a of shift work, like I just got home from work or something. And he said, she just loved me like that, and I don't, I don't even know why she did it. Some of my own family, he said, was, was telling her she needed to leave. And, of course, her family was like, you just need to be done with him. And, and she met him at the door just in, in love. And he told me, he said, the first seven years were a lot of fun for me. He said, but the last three years of that 10-year span, he said, that's when I started getting into a lot of wrecks with my cars. That's when I started losing jobs. All the stuff that I had kind of done in the beginning was catching up to me. And she just sat there, and she just loved him over it. And he said, every time he got into a wreck, he said he should have died in several of them, but every time he felt this presence with him <laughs> because of a praying wife who never said, I'm leaving you. Never. And it was because of that that one day God spoke to him so plainly. And he said, he said, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting in my room in the middle of the night, and Jesus said to me so tenderly and so lovingly, he said, I have called you, and I have called you, and you have rejected me. And if you reject me now, he said it was the most tender, loving voice he ever heard. He said, if you reject me now, I'll never bother you again. But if you reject me now, I'm, I'm going to take my hand off of you, and you're going to be on your own. And he said it crushed him. And he said, God, if you'll even have me, <laughs> he said, I'll give my life to you. He said, and he waited till he got to church and just dove to the altar and, and got saved right there. But he said, God, if you'll even have me after what I've done to my family, he said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. 
All because of a wife that would not leave. All because of a wife that said, I'm going to love you no matter what. All because of a wife, when he was at his absolute worst and had his back turned to her, she said, I'm going to be just like Jesus Christ did for me. When I was at my worst and I was still a sinner and he loved me, I'm going to therefore replicate, uh, replicate that and reciprocate it to my, to my husband. I'm going to deflect that to him. It doesn't make a bit of worldly sense, but that's the unconditional love that he's saying holds marriages together. And so he gives his life to God. Time goes on. God calls him to preach. Isn't that crazy? It always happens like that. And, and, he, and he did. And he began a church later on in his life. Now, don't get me wrong. He had to reap the consequences of his actions. It took him a long time to get some jobs, and, and he started at the bottom. He says, I'll never forget working in the back of a Keebler truck unloading cookies. And he said, God, teach me everything I need to learn and do it fast because I want to get out of this job as quickly as I can. <laughs> he was hot. And he just... And it took him a long time, but he, he gave his life to God. God called him to preach, and, and he eventually started a church where he pastored for 20 years, and that over 20 years. And that actually ended up being the church later on that God called me to. And I actually started in ministry at that church uh, at 20 years old. And that was the man that God called to be my mentor starting out. That was, the, that was the man that God called to be my pastor and my leader. And I find myself today even modeling myself after him as, as a pastor and some of the things that he's learned over the years. And I actually just called him uh, last week, and I was talking to him about this particular story. Um, and, and, and he has two daughters and, and, a, and, and a son, like I told you. The two daughters, because of this praying mom, because he was able to change his life, they, they grew up and they're, they're following the Lord. Uh, their families follow the Lord. And one of them actually married a pastor. His son grew up and accepted the call to preach, and he, he actually took the church succeeded his father and is actually pastoring that church that his father helped start to this day. It's one of the main reasons I'm standing here because of this man that God changed because of a wife that said, I'm not leaving you. <laughs> I'm going to stay. I'm going to pray for you when, when it looks like it's at its worst. And he told me last week, he said, Ryan, this August, we're going to celebrate 48 years of marriage. He says, better now than it's ever been. Then he told me something I'll, I'll never forget. He said, Ryan, unconditional love is hard to resist. Unconditional love is hard to resist. You know, there are so many compatibility filters that, that we look at. There's personality traits. There, we want to make sure that's right. We want to make sure that, you know, the physical attraction is there. It's all important. We want to make sure that they take showers and use deodorant. <laughs> you know, we want to make sure that, that uh, there's cleanliness. We want to make sure we communicate well. All that's good. But if, if you don't start with these two things, then you're going to put cracks in the foundation that you're going to eventually want to build on. Have a common faith with somebody else and have a committed love that says, no matter what, I'm going to model my love after the God that loved me and I'm going to give that to you. And when you have those two things, you can, you can have all those other compatibility traits. Go for it. They're important. But build your foundation around those two. Our prayer team is going to come up now, and I just, I just want to invite you if, you, have, if you have a need, if you have something that you want prayer for, maybe it's a relationship thing, maybe it's not, I want to invite you up to pray. Maybe uh, you want uh, Bobby in to pray for you, maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. I want to open it up for you to do that. Um, but I also want to say that there are a lot of people in here that are single, and a lot of people in here that have the idea of marriage, maybe one day soon, or, or maybe, maybe uh, at some point, maybe you don't know who the person is yet. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And I want you to be bold enough to commit yourself to these, these two things. Can we pray together?
God, thank you for, for this life. Thank you for, um, Lord, your word says that you gave us life. You give us our breath. And in the book of Jeremiah, it says you have great plans for us in this life. Lord, you invented marriage. You invented it to be a beautiful thing. You invented it to be something that gives us pleasure. Emotionally, God, spiritually, physically. You invented all this stuff, Lord, and it's good. And we appreciate it. We really do. But Lord, help us to do it your way. Help us to build the foundation on someone that believes like we do and is committed to you just as much as we are. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, as we walk out of here today, Father, I, I know there are some in the room right now that, that know it's going to be difficult to actually change the way they think, maybe because they're already in a relationship. And maybe they're not married. But Lord, I, I pray that you would give them the strength, Lord, to make difficult decisions and think beyond the person that's standing in front of them, but to think of you and to think of their children later on in life, to think of the years ahead of them. Give them a boldness, Lord. And I pray that as you do that, God, that your, your promises for them would just flood their mind so they can look at this difficult decision maybe in front of them that they have to make and know that, hey, it's going to be worth it. Be with them, Lord. Strengthen them. Give us boldness as we walk out of this room to do what we know is right and to do what is ultimately going to be your plan for us and give us the most joy. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.